Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book creator and incredibly funny bloke, Jason Youngbluth, about what comics he would take into the apocalypse. But before we get into it, if you enjoy the show today, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, Jason Youngbluth. How's it going? Hello. How are you? Is it Sam or Samuel? Which do you prefer? Sam. Or George? Sam, Sam's good. <laughs> Sam, okay. Yeah, it's really just kind of, you know, an, an author's name, the full Samuel George London. But uh, yeah, Sam is good. Just like your uncle, Sam, Jason. Uh, my my uncle, is that is that uh, a reference to our, our beloved... Uh, to your great nation. Uh, yes. Uh, I thought I had a joke there. I don't. This is already off to a bad start. <laughs> You're doing show. You should really pat yourself on the back. I appreciate that, man. Thanks very much. And thank you for being on today's uh, Comics for the Apocalypse. It's a real pleasure to have you on. Um, and uh, we, we, we connected, uh, like all great minds do, on Twitter. Um, so I really, really appreciate that. You, you actually came up as, a, as one of our choices in a previous ep- episode with uh, Dylan Gilbertson. Yes, indeed. As I was listening to the episode, it was a great episode, by the way. Dylan was a great guest. Yeah. And uh, I, I, uh, someone sent me um, a link saying that I've been uh, mentioned. And I thought the show being Comics for the Apocalypse, that it was going to be a reference to my, my comic book about the apocalypse, uh, Weapon Brown. And it turned out to be something that created an emotional apocalypse in the person instead. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Uh, with, your, with, your, with your brilliant, um, I, I guess, kind of like mini comic, uh, stuffed friends. Yes, yeah, that's uh, well. It's a, it's. I guess I would say that um, the Clarissa comics, because that's all part of a piece, are these right. um, comics featuring this little girl Clarissa. Mm. They are. They've never been a, a comic book. They've always been strips within another comic book. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's very emotionally wrenching. Um, and you even made an animated short out of it as well. Uh, that was actually I didn't make that. Uh, that was really? some, someone contacted me. It was oh, some, some German animation students at, at a university, and uh, and they asked uh, if, if they could adapt it. And I said yes, of course. And uh, I think they did a terrific job. It's uh, for anyone interested. It's uh, you just Google stuffed friend um, or animated cartoon, and you should find it on Vimeo pretty easily. Yeah, how amazing is that? That you know, you just get contacted out of the blue, and then. Yeah, some some students make <laughs> make a nice yeah. little short, and I mean it's really good animation. Yeah, it really is. It's not even the first adaptation or the only one, because uh, mm. a fellow from um, a, 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 a filmmaker who does just does short films um, from Brazil, I think, uh, adapted it as well for a, a, a sort of um, couple minute long live action, um, very stylized live action uh, a short as well. So yeah, mm. Stuff Friend is uh, is apparently the uh, probably my my biggest mark on uh, history. <laughs> amazing man that's fantastic um but uh for, for, for anybody that hasn't come across you yet what do you do in the world of comics well uh i've been a cartoonist uh, professionally um uh since 2000 i've been cartooning my whole life um so i've done uh, uh any number of um uh comics for magazines and newspapers um uh, uh 
I started off doing stuff for for Starlog magazine, which was um, uh, a a sci-fi um, uh, a magazine devoted to just sci-fi fandom, uh, sort of the um, sister publication of Fangoria, which a lot of people have heard of. And uh, and you know I've done any any number of cartoons for various magazines, but probably the I'm best known for work that I've done for Mad Magazine. Uh, and, uh, I guess, uh, Scooby don't and, um, uh, detective slow on the draw, uh, among others are uh, features that I've created for mad. And then what brings us together is, uh, the, the comic books that I publish, uh, under, uh, under my own company name, death ray graphics. Um, uh, probably the best known one is what we just talked about. Clarissa, uh, which is, um, began as, as a single strip called Clarissa ruins Thanksgiving, which appeared in, a, in my first self-published comic book, deep fried. And uh, and it was never supposed to go any farther than that. And then, you know, people really responded to it. So I said, OK, maybe I can I can try this a little bit further. Um, it's kind of tough because the gag is uh, uh, well, it's not supposed to be a gag. That's kind of the the twist there. It's like you're not supposed to be laughing at this. And then uh, then it evolved into, you know, it, it, it uh, there was another uh, strip called Bath Time Fun. And then Stuff Friend was the one that really set the stage for what Clarissa has become since then. I've done a number of Clarissa strips following Stuff Friend. And when I saw how people were responding to Stuff Friend, it, it occurred to me that, you know, there might be not just, you know, some cruel gags involved in this character, but maybe an actual story could unfold uh, around her. And that's what I've been doing since then. And then the other thing that I'm probably best known for is Weapon Brown, which is uh, a parody of uh, newspaper comic strips uh, featuring Charlie Brown set after the apocalypse. <laughs> Amazing. Where, where can folks uh, find all of this? They can find it – well, uh, you can go to whatisdeepfried.com is my principal uh, website. Um, if you're interested in Weapon Brown, you can also go to weaponbrown.com. And, uh, of course, I'm on Twitter at uh, I am Death Ray. Uh, I, where else am I? Um, got a YouTube channel. Um, doesn't really have – you know, that's more of like random stuff. Doesn't really – you know, it's called Wrath of Porkins. Um, one word, Wrath of Porkins, so you can find me there. I, I was noticing the other day, it's like, wow, I got 537 followers. I'd, I've never done anything at all to cultivate even getting one follower, and, and it's, it's, it's nice. I hope they like what they're getting, which is very infrequent content. Yeah. <laughs> nice, man. Um, yeah. And then I believe... Oh, oh, let me give you my, uh, let me give you my Instagram, oh, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Instagram, yeah. I can remember. I think it's uh, death underscore ray underscore graphics brilliant um and, and people can uh, can check the show notes for all of those links and just click through yeah. straight there if they like um and along yeah. with all of those links um you have a kickstarter out as well oh yes uh i have a kickstarter it is called death ray 2020 and it is uh to uh to get people uh, interested in um the wide variety of comics that i've created um so you can uh if you pledge to that you get a bunch of stuff that's uh, already in print and a bunch of new stuff that's uh, coming in the uh in the coming year brilliant and again people can can click on that link in the show notes or you can just search death ray 2020 in kickstarter and i'm sure it'll come up Yes, you can yeah. do that. Yes, you could do that. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely go check it out. Usually, usually this stuff gets saved for the end of the interview, so I, I, I like your style that we're just getting knocking <laughs> yeah, this out of the way. I'm, I'm, I'm the, the type of guy that likes to get all of this stuff up front so that you yeah. know, people can listen to the episode but also like search this, like you at the same time. I kind of prefer, exactly. prefer that. Like When I listen to a podcast, I want to know the stuff up front. Then I can look at the person if I want, if you know, um, I'm not too busy. Um, and then, yeah, man, it, I think it makes for better listening, but hey-ho. 
<laughs> I like your me. style, man. I like your style. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Um, right. Well, um, that that chirpiness aside, I do have some bad news for you, Jason. I'm afraid. Oh, and what? that what? is there is a nuclear bomb. Oh, heading straight for New York. So no! not, not 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 directly into Buffalo. Okay, oh, it's, it's it's hitting right slap bam in the middle of New York State, right? Um, not wine country, no. <laughs> yeah, damn you. Um, and so, uh, yeah, you're 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 not in the direct line of fire of the of the nuclear blast, but you're kind of going to be on the outskirts of the of the fallout. Um, so, my question is to you: What is your action plan for survival? Well, um, of course, I, I, I've got a lot of um, uh, bag chips, uh, or, or as you would call them, crisps. Correct. Um, yes, it, 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 I, I'm going to be one of those those people that can't get over the uh, the language differences. You know, I can't believe you call chips crisps. <laughs> what are we and call, you call fries French fries chips? chips. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's I know it's a cliche, but you know it's, that's that's it's the way I'm. <laughs> so yeah so i got uh pl- plenty of uh, doritos um all varieties um mm-hmm. everything from the uh from the traditional to the uh to the um to the the, the hot chili pepper style and of course cool ranch cool um Standard. and i'll be washing those down with the uh, refreshing schweppes ginger ale um of which i will have a six pack and you know how long can nuclear fallout last right i mean it's not like i got a <laughs> stuck in this stuff. not like it hangs around for decades right that's right. That's right. And uh, but and I oh I've got I'm, and you know what I I I've been mainlining iodine tablets my entire life anyway, and so I'm well right. stocked up on those. And I understand that that's somehow that's good for the for the fallout. So yeah. Yes. So I my so I've, I'm all set for food. Um, I uh, you know uh, I've I've got I've got some mushrooms I've been saving for a special occasion. So <laughs> I I think I'll you know I'll be enjoying for you know a few days. I'll be enjoying uh, you know. The, the experience of, of watching the Holocaust uh, unfold uh, in front of me. And then, um, you know, I know people are, you know, there's worries about like looting and panic in the streets and everything. I don't buy that. Okay. I just think that's the media trying to panic you. I don't have a gun or a crossbow or a machete or anything like that. I'm going to be like live and let live. Okay. And I think, I think it's going to be a sweet apocalypse to be quite honest. Nice. And where, where are you going to hunker down? Well, um, I rarely leave my house as it is, so I think I'm just going to stay put. <laughs> nice man. Is, nice, is anybody joining you? Nice block. I'm on a nice block. Why is it going to be better anywhere else in, in in my territory? Okay, I've got I've got trees. I've got a nice view. The the neighbors are friendly. There's a guy down the street. He's raising chickens. Um, so I'm I'm good for eggs, radioactive eggs. Um, you know, I, you I see you know, chicken people they put a lot of thought into the apocalypse. They act like you got to have like, you know, places to be places. To get, no, no, just, you know, home is where the heart is. And, uh, and I say <laughs> home is, is where your death should be as well. Nice man. And, and is anybody joining you, um, in your, uh, at your home? Is, is anyone killing me at my home? No, you're joining I- you, joining. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, you know, I've got a roommate, but I'm sure he's going to be one of the, the panicky ones who, you know, hops in the, uh, his, his armored vehicle and, uh, and, and, and hits the road for, you know, the, the, the rumored safe zone out west. You know, I, I tr- keep trying to tell him. It's like, it's a myth, okay? It, it, you know, that, that, that person who broke into the radio broadcast to tell you about the safe zone, it was just some goofball with a CB 
radio. Stay put. But no, no, he's going to want to put on his leather jacket and he's going to want to, you know, stick his shotgun in the holster on the back and, you know, get his his German shepherd to hop in the vehicle with him. It's all covered in spikes. It's like, okay, way to be a cliche. No, I I am staying right where I am. (laughs) And you road warriors, you know, go go find your safe zone. Lots of luck. Just leave me alone with my mushrooms and my Doritos. Nice, man. Um, And uh, one day um, during this nuclear fallout, um, you go around to pick up uh, your radioactive eggs from your nice yes. neighbor who's also remained in your neighborhood um and yeah. he's got uh, well, some tentacles growing out of his head but he's otherwise yeah. the same person yeah exactly like there's the you can't be discriminate discriminatory just because he's got oh. tentacles coming out of his head that's just not kind is it um but no. uh whilst whilst you you're kind of you know um making the transaction of 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 eggs for for a bag of doritos mm-hmm. um the the subject of comet comes up um and um he he asks you what's the first comic you remember enjoying well uh if i can understand his his mutant grunts if i if i correctly <laughs> understand that that is what he's asking me um the first comic that i remember enjoying would have been a comic strip that ran in the buffalo news uh, my local paper i'm in rochester actually right now but i'll always be a mm. buffalo boy at heart um <laughs> Now, I can't remember the name of the strip. I, I don't think it lasted that long, but I remember there were two strips that I really liked at the time. It was Funky Winker Bean and this other strip. And I just liked the style of the the art. It was it was the first art style that I remember trying to emulate. I tried drawing faces the way this guy was drawing faces. So I wish I could credit him and, and give give you the name of the strip. But uh, you know, his his legacy lives on in every uh, in every line that I scratch. nice one and how old are you at this point gosh um i'm gonna say 10-ish right yeah and then you just started (laughs) which could mean anywhere between 5 and 17 (laughs) (laughs) yeah quite possibly yeah Um, right and so uh were were you actually um purposely drawing a strip itself or just kind of just general drawings of of cartoons I'm sure that I began coming up with my own strips around that time. I, I think yeah. I even had like a knockoff strip of this guy's that I drew in my sketchbook. Oh, nice. Brilliant. And do, 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 did you have a name for that or, or does it escape you? <laughs> no, that, 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 this, is, this is the ancient lore. This is from the, from the before four times, uh, before <laughs> the, the nuclear bomb went off. Um, no, I, this, was, this was probably my, my, my earliest work that, that I thought, oh, I would like to um, – like to cartoon, although cartooning runs in my family. My, uh, I, I always like to let people know that my um, my great uncle Bob Donovan was Fred Laswell's assistant on the um, the uh, never ending comic strip Snuffy Smith, which uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's been around since Prohibition. Uh, which show, which tells you just how sharp the humor must be, um, but it's it's about it's about hillbillies during prohibition. It's been around that long, so th- this was a strip that was passed from one cartoonist to another, and uh, eventually my uh, my uh, great uncle was the cartoonist on it. The other fellow was the one who wrote the strip. <coughs> Excuse me. So um, so I've you know cartooning was always something I was interested in, but this strip that I was talking about that I was emulating was probably the first strip that I got interested in um, for its art style and wanted to try to learn how to draw from it. Wow. Um, and so when when did you decide that right, I do want to make this a career and, and what were the, your first steps into trying 
to make it into a career? Well, uh, I would say it was it was always the only choice I had um, or, or the only choice I made. Uh, I remember maybe as early as third grade, um, really deciding that cartooning was what I wanted to do for a living. Um, and it helped that I wasn't good at anything else. So uh, it was like it was an easy choice to make. Uh, the, the, I knew that the NFL would not be calling. So uh, <laughs> So I, I, I've really been on that track since as, as, as young an age as I can remember. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Um, incredible that you kind of have that, I guess, one-track mind um, so early. It's sort of been like a benefit and a, and a curse as well because I, I did pour all my ambition into it. I, I kind of wish I was a more well-rounded person and I had sort of <laughs> spread my ambition around a little bit, but you know, you can't pick your personality. So uh, yeah, it's good. At least I had this. <laughs> nice man. And so what were your first steps into actually, you know, making it a career? Was it just, you know, just send out some strips to some local newspapers or? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think the, the, the very first published strip of mine was, uh, it was an editorial cartoon about our mayor. We had a mayor who was notoriously um, feisty and uh, would even uh, – he, he was in a way you could say he was like the Donald Trump of Buffalo because he, he, uh, he was a real character. And, um, and he would uh, even get into uh, uh, brawls with reporters from time to time. So the first comic strip I remember drawing um, that was published was uh, an editorial strip about this mayor – that was published in a local um, free weekly newspaper that collected editorial strips from across the country, and uh, and I remember one of my uh, my my teachers in high. So this would have been like freshman, maybe sophomore year in high school, um, uh, and and I think uh, my I'm hoping I get her name right. It's not. Oh, it was my homeroom teacher. I'm, I'm doing her a disservice by not remembering her name. But she was a very sweet woman. She even framed the strip for me and gave me it uh, as a gift. Mm-hmm. So that you know, so that was where my career fully began in publishing cartoons. Um, and then from there, it was uh, I, I did. Uh, I don't remember when the next strip was that I got published, but it was it was Gangbusters from there. And I, I um, eventually got into um, the Buffalo News. Uh, the local paper, um, as well as uh, the magazines magazines I mentioned, like um, uh, Cat Fancy, Dog Fancy, Starlog, um, some other um, publications. And, and then, you know, also uh, free weekly papers was uh, another step. And in the meantime, I took a crack at trying to get a strip syndicated. And I, you know... I guess in in the long run, I'm, I'm glad I chose the path I did. But I also realized uh, in reflection that that I um, I sort of caved in on that particular dream kind of quickly because uh, I'm I'm kind of impatient. So when I got positive feedback from the syndicates, but they didn't pick up the strip that I was sending them, it occurred to me that I wasn't really going to be able to tell the kind of jokes I wanted to tell uh, in in family newspapers. And by that point, I was both in love with comic strips, but I also really wanted to do very adult-oriented material. And uh, I realized that if I wanted to do that, then then really what I had to do was was get into comic books instead, because that was the only place that I was going to have a free hand to uh, to tell the jokes that I wanted to. So uh, so after a few stabs at getting a strip syndicated, I decided I'd be better off with comic books. And uh, that was when I began uh, self-publishing Deep Fried, which was my first comic book. Uh, and uh, at, the, at the same time, I was trying to get work 
from the from the big companies like Marvel and DC. And ultimately, I did I get did get uh, a shot to write a short story for a comic book called Bizarro World, which was put out by DC Comics. But uh, that was the last time I got uh, uh, any notice from uh, from the big companies, at least for my comic book work. Amazing. Um, yeah, it's, it's always interesting to find out how people kind of make their way into forging a career um, from from this, um, really, because, you know, so many people try. Um, mm. But uh, it's, it's amazing to hear when, when people do make it. So um, really, really interesting. Um, now, I wouldn't say I've made it. <laughs> no? <laughs> If you call this a career, no, no, I, I like, I like to, uh, self-deprecation is, is part of my, uh, my cartooning personality. So of course, of that's, course. That's why so many of my characters are depressed. <laughs> and, and now that I think of it, that's actually the truth. Now I, I've never really considered that before, but, but weapon Brown, he's this post-apocalyptic warrior, but he, you know, he's a real badass, but he's also not happy because he's Charlie Brown. So he's depressed. Uh, Beepo, the, 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 the central character of deep fried, he's depressed. Clarissa is depressed. Uh, no one's happy in my on it. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's it's good to have uh, characters that are in kind of you know conflict with themselves. I guess kind of if they're too happy and things, it's it's relatively boring, really, isn't it? Um, yeah. Uh, well, they than... say write what you know. Apparently, I know okay. that. <laughs> there you go, nice man. Um, and uh, kind of sidestepping uh, d- depression and things, we're, we're going to start off with our next question, which is: What is the funniest or comic that made you laugh out loud the most? Well, um, so uh, here we go. Uh, it began, of course, with comic strips for me and then worked into comic books. So it went sort of like this. Uh, Garfield, uh, Gar- you know, it's funny. Uh, I, I, like everyone else, I make fun of Garfield viciously. But back when Garfield launched, I thought it was the bee's knees. I mean, I loved every every panel of it. Uh, so Garfield was great. Um, uh, also, Garfield, uh, incidentally, was the strip that that one of the strips that I started emulating, and I ultimately mm. came up with a character whose name then was Schmitty, Schmitty the Cat, who eventually became Roadkill the Cat, uh, who's one of the, the the stars of Deep Fried. So Garfield has had a lasting impact on my life. I've I've stuck with this Garfield ripoff since I was twelve. Um, so it was Garfield for humor. Uh, then Bloom County, uh, hilarious. Uh, moving on, uh, the Far Side and Calvin and Hobbes both sort of debuted at the same time, and they were the, they were the best. Uh, and those were the last comics uh, in the in the newspapers that I actually enjoyed. Um, and then uh, when I moved to comic books, um, Evan Dorkin's Milk and Cheese, which I discovered in college, was just the funniest thing I had ever seen. And then the last comic to really blow me away with this humor was uh, a comic book called Lowest Comic Denominator by a cartoonist named Kieran Dwyer, and mm. it was. I, I've never, I, I've not seen since uh, a comic book that affected me like that. It was, it was so horrifically tasteless. I, I could not believe a comic book could be this tasteless and still crack me up. 
it was it was out of this world with its its ability to thread the needle of just disgusting juvenile fecal matter related humor and and just being so knee slapping funny. I I I I between that and milk and cheese, those are the to me those are the standards of of comic book humor, and I'm always trying to find out uh, trying to find my way into that that echelon. But uh, I don't think I'll ever do it because those those were just you know beyond funny. Uh, and, and that's yeah yeah and so that's the whole spectrum of of humor of of comics that have affected me. Oh, great. Um, and like out, out of interest, do you, do you find yourself laughing out loud at, at some of the some of these uh, some of these strips and comics, or do you, do you find it's kind of like an internal laughter? Um, yeah, I think the, the only strip, okay, let's see what makes me laugh. Uh, okay. So there, so some recent strips that have made me laugh. Um, uh, Akewood is a web strip. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the name of the cartoonist, but he's a great cartoonist. It's really unusual strip. Um, great writing, really, really sharp humor. Um, uh, what's it called? Cyanide and happiness is always good for a laugh. Um, Trying to think what else. Uh, there's a, there's a few. Oh, um, there's one called um, Womp uh, by a guy named um, Ronnie Ronnie. Phil, I'm gonna I hate myself for not getting the name Ronnie Philya or something like that. But I think people know what Womp is. So those are a few that that do make me uh, chuckle out loud. Um, but uh, you know, it's, I, I don't know how many people laugh at like a huge number of of humor strips. Um, I guess uh, everyone's different. Um, but but my tastes are a little rarefied at this point. For sure, and it takes quite a bit to actually kind of yeah, to to laugh properly out loud, I guess. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, well, it's a t- it's a tough thing to do in this in this medium, I think, to actually yeah. pro- get a response like that. Um, yeah, particularly kind of because you're on your own, and often laughter is kind of contagious. Like if you're actually in an yeah. audience, um, yeah, you, you find yourself laughing more. Like if you ever watch a stand up. Um, yeah, live you laugh a lot more right. than if you're watching at home, you know. Yeah, it's, well, it's I think I think well. the, uh, the the I don't know if that you necessarily have to see them live, although that's great. But obviously, it's funnier to watch humor when you're with someone because um, yeah. you need to uh, you need to uh, vibe off of their their own laughter is is part of the um, uh, is part of what generates your own. So yeah, if I'm watching a, a stand-up comedian uh, by myself, I mean, unless it's like one of my all-time favorites, I, I rarely laugh out loud. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but that's that's also you know that's that's part of the fun of writing humor. Like uh, the, the 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 hardest thing to do is to make myself laugh, right? And so right. if I can write a joke that actually makes me chuckle out loud, then I know that I've written something funny, whether or not anyone else likes it. I at least know that I've come up with the 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 um the uh, the bait and switch that is behind any good piece of humor. So um uh that that's that that's why uh you know I I like to you know study like anyone else i love to laugh but i also like to to study what is it that made me laugh and and how did the how did the the cartoonist or the comedian um you know take me around the garden path before springing the trap on me which is you know uh, something i i try to do for my readers as well absolutely yeah. so it's always an interesting um thing to 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 look at and try and understand i guess um and try and forge that into your stories um, always, always very difficult. Um, now, yeah. uh, leaning back into depression and things, the mm-hmm. next question that oh. comes up from your oh. uh, your your mutant neighbor is: uh, yeah. What's the saddest or most upsetting <laughs> comic that you've read? 
so you know when you ask that question um i wasn't uh, i i had to rack my brain i i'm sure that, okay so i gave i gave one answer let me give you another answer before i give you the real answer um so there was a comic uh, that i read a long time ago that was called soft boy s-o-f boy yeah. and it was um it was an, a weird comic about this sort of like Pillsbury Doughboy type character who just gets like mistreated by everyone he comes in contact with, even though he's such a good natured person. And I, I don't know if there's other comics that I felt sadder uh, for. There, there probably are, but but this one made me feel kind of sad because it was it, there was just a real pathos to it, um, like um, ju- just the way that uh, uh, you know he he couldn't catch a break and and he was just sort of a a sweet, naive character, and people were so mean to him for some reason. And the art was really good because he had this like this this doughy body that the artist could really make you know jokes about. Um, so so I'm going to supplement the answer I gave um, uh, in the uh, in our our pre uh, pre interview interview, um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and say that there's a that, that comic soft boy. Um, uh, had a, had a kind of a, a sweet sadness to it that um, I think of from time to time. Uh, but the, the the snarky answer that I gave uh, for saddest or most upsetting was um, was uh, it was a comic book called Sin City Family Values. And I only mentioned that one because I'm a big Sin City fan, Frank Miller's Sin City. But I was super stoked for this this graphic novel. And then when I got it, it was the first Sin City comic that just didn't do it for me. Yeah. And I don't know what it was. Maybe it was um, – because it, it wasn't badly drawn and it wasn't outside of – outside of the the normal tone of Sin City, but I think I was maybe just too prepared for uh, Frank Miller's um, uh, writing at that point. And my favorite Sin City is the original one with Marv, uh, which, which I thought was a great uh, a great detective story too. And so for some reason, I, I, I got Sin City Family Values and I was super stoked for it. And then when I read it, it just sort of uh, felt like a letdown. And so that, that was, you know, kind of sad that that I had fallen out of love with Sin City at that point. The other Sin City stuff that came afterwards never quite did it for me either. No, oh, it's a real shame, isn't it? When kind of you know you're you're in love with a with a with a series like that, and then if you, you uh, just, it just massively disappoints you. Just this one yeah, and just downward spiral from there. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, if 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 you edit this interview, you can cue like that Charlie Brown music. You know, that uh, <laughs> Christmas time is here. That was my emotion at that moment. Oh man, yeah. Um, it's uh, it's not not great. And then, um, do do you still like the original? Yeah, I'm still. Uh, see, I, I don't like to harsh on uh, uh, Frank Miller at all because I'm still mm. a big fan of Sin City in general and yeah. um, everything up to Family. I mean, Family Values has some really great art. I've actually studied from it a number of times. Right. Uh, it was just something about the story was like, okay, I guess I guess I've peaked with Sin City, um, but but Sin City is still a, a huge influence on me, uh, especially on Weapon Brown. I've um, mm-hmm. I've borrowed from some of the tone of it and and definitely from the artwork style uh, enough number of times and as a matter of fact the new weapon brown project i'm working on which is called weapon brown aftershock i'm doing three stories it's going to be an anthology and it's going to have three stories told three different ways and my plan is to do the third story in just a straight up frank miller you know uh, sin city you know harsh black and white style um that uh, that i've i've always wanted to do something just right in that style and see how well i could pull it off because uh, his work is so amazing so uh, i'm looking for it so you know, d- don't get me wrong. Sin City will will always be uh, right up in the top tier of my favorite comics, and uh, and uh, I, I'm I like it so much. I plan to rip it off without any mercy. 
<laughs> nice man. Nice. See a pot, man. Exactly. Dog eat dog. You know. Um, great. So uh, next question um, that comes up is: uh, What is the scariest or most horrifying comic that you've read? Uh, so, so this is again, I, I, am I must be, I hope I'm not too shameful a guess that I can't remember the specific names or titles of some of these things, but some of these things I just sort of read in the, in the comic shop and then, you know, it just made an impression, but I didn't buy it. So, um, it was one, it was a horror anthology. I can't remember the name of it, but the, the premise was uh, of this story was that it was during the time, like in the eighties when Cabbage Patch Kids were big. So um, a, a father goes to like some sort of creepy curio shop and buys like a dusty Cabbage Patch Kid off the doll uh, off the wall um, and to give to his uh, child for Christmas, and um, and he gives it to her and she's delighted. Oh, it's like the doll I wanted. Well, then what happens is at the end of the story, she falls asleep in bed with the doll. The doll wakes up and goes to the window and there's a bunch of Cabbage Patch Kids trying to get in. So the doll opens the window. Cut to the next day, the child is missing, the police are taking a report, and they're talking about how there's been like a string of child abductions. Uh, cut back to it's 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 miles away in a forest. The sun is just coming up over the horizon. The little girl is all bound up, and she's being carried away by the Cabbage Patch Kids, and they take her down into a hole in the ground, and the last thing you see is the one Cabbage Patch Kid is, is smiling with a mouthful of shark's teeth, and then he oh slams the lid shut. And I was like, oh, Jesus, that's creepy. Um, I, I, it reminded me of a movie – Another movie whose name I can't remember, but but people will probably know what I'm talking about. It was about a woman is living in a house with her husband that they've just bought, and there are all sorts of little tiny creatures living in the walls. And they're basically gaslighting this woman because the husband thinks she's going insane because she keeps seeing like these little monsters. And at the end of the movie, it more or less ends like that comic. I guess they drag her into the walls, and I even want to say that um, that uh, who's that um, that that uh, filmmaker? Uh, it's not Benicio del Toro. It's the other one. Um, G- 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 what is it? Guillermo del Toro. Yes. I think he even remade this movie, but I like the original one, which was like a 70s movie. It was just super creepy, just the idea of these little creatures living in your house, and then at the end, you know, they take you away. Ah, very frightening. So, yeah, so that's probably why that um, that comic story was, uh, was especially creepy to me. Yeah, that's going to give you nightmares, certainly, particularly if you're a young person that's got cabbage patch kids in your room. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Surefire way to... I think uh, I end up... I ended up smacking around my my little brother's own Cabbage Patch doll because of that. (laughs) I think think I thought it might come after me. Unsurprising. Well, maybe I should add that to the list of uh, potential apocalypses that people could have. A Cabbage Patch Kids one. Um, (laughs) Possessed Cabbage Patch Kids apocalypse. That's a good one. Like Toy Story, you know, the dolls come to life. Yeah, man. It was, it's kind of like the um, Small Soldiers, isn't it? The, yes. Yeah, that was kind of like a hardcore Toy Story one. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Well, that's a, that's very, very scary. And I'll have to try and uh, try and find that um, uh, in order to try and find what, what the actual title was and things like that. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's clearly stuck with you and, and left some, some mental scars. Indeed. There might even be a connection between that strip and Clarissa. 
quite possibly there you go um so uh lightening the mood a little bit um mm-hmm. my my next question for you as the as your mutant neighbor is uh what is your favorite cover Favorite cover? Well, I, um, I'm going to supplement my answer again because after I, I thought about it for a while, I remembered a, a particular cover that that has stuck with me, and it was a um, it was a cover to uh, I, I want to say 2000 AD, but in this country it might have just been like a Judge Dredd comic, just called Judge Dredd, right. and it was um, it was a great cover. It I can't again I can't remember the artist, but it was drawn real well, and the um, the uh, oh hold on a second here, um, I'll just ignore that. Um, the uh uh stop it stop trying to call me oh my god it's it's the it's the nuclear alert system yes um the uh the the cover was uh so it was it was from judge dread so it was set in the future and and this person had basically been infected with mushrooms so it's a tight shot of his face and he's sticking out his tongue he's got mushrooms growing all over him and he's got mushrooms growing out of his mouth and it's like oh god that's so hideous but so memorable so uh, that that's going to definitely be one of my favorite covers of all time. But um, uh, when I, I started thinking about like covers of comic books that I'd actually bought uh, that really uh, stoked me, um, the uh, the the gatefold cover to X Men number one, which was uh, at the height of the speculator boom, uh, Jim Lee and Chris Claremont, or maybe it was just Jim Lee at that point. I think I don't know. Probably Jim Lee and Chris Claremont. Um, they had released a series of of covers. Uh, for this new X-Men title that was launching. And then one of the versions of it had all the covers at once in a, in a large, un, like, five-panel gatefold cover. And, and uh, th- so that was a great cover, and that was one of the few comic books that I've actually um, uh, put into plastic and preserved, even though it probably won't be worth any money because there were so many <laughs> printed. <laughs> sure, man, but it's, it's for your appreciation, isn't it? Absolutely. And then the uh, the other thing, uh, not no one cover in particular, but basically as I thought of it, as I thought of your question, I was like probably the only comic that, that I was always excited to see the cover of when, when I went to buy it um, because the covers always got me interested in what was inside. And th- those were the covers to uh, John Byrne's comic series The Next Men. Uh, when uh, I love the series, but I also the, the covers were always kind of um, subtle, uh, at mm. least to my mind. So I was like, oh, great. I can't wait to find out how this cover image relates to whatever the story is going to be. So probably the covers that I most look forward to were the covers of Next Men. Nice, man. Um, 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 what is it about those? Is it the the colors, the composition of it? Or um, I don't know. Uh, just like I, the yeah, anticipation. I, I think I probably the anticipation. I, I, I at that point I was fully in love with John Byrne's artwork, and um, uh, I just liked the story. And uh, you know, it's 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 I can't quite put my finger on it, but maybe it's just because these were the comics that at that time I was the most excited to buy every week. Mm. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So it's kind of it is slightly it's slightly the anticipation of you know what's what's the cover going to be and you know what's the story inside. Yeah, like yeah. That. That's awesome. Yeah, and at, and and at that point, you know, I wasn't a, a little kid anymore. But uh, the, you know, those those were that 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 was the one title. I mean, I liked a lot of comics at that point, but that was probably the one title that still made me feel like a little kid. Oh, those are the best, man! Um, After just... family values let me down. Oh, rubbish! Um, at least something uh, something holds up. Yeah. There you go. Awesome, man. Um, so uh, we come on to one of our most interesting questions, uh, and that is what is the most meaningful comic to you? 
Well, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the the very first comic book that I remember really being interested in, which was um, the first comic book that I ever bought from a comic shop, and that was um, an episode, uh, an issue of Green Lantern. I don't remember what number, but I remember um, Green Lantern had a little pet space starfish named Itty, and Itty died in the comic, and I I remember. It was is kind of odd because I knew you know he's just basically a pet, but I, as I remember the comic, um, there's like this scene where everyone and you know all the adults in the comic, Green Lantern and Green Arrow and his friends, they're all sort of like sitting around um, like sitting Shiva for Itty, <laughs> like they're talking about their memories of Itty. It's like wow, Itty was just like a, a like a little you know little creature. He wasn't a person. It was kind of weird to me that 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 he, they seemed to be like. Um, uh, that moved by the death of, of Itty, the, the space starfish. And then, of course, even more interesting was outside the house they were in, the the plot where they buried Itty in was starting to glow. No, <laughs> so nice. you knew that Itty was about to come back probably in a new horrible form. Yeah. So uh, so I, I that, that comic, you know, always stuck with me. Um, there was another comic that I bought at the same time. It was another Green, green Lantern, Green Arrow. Um yeah, it, it, you know, you can never explain what it is about a comic that really hooks you. Um, I think I think part of it is is that at that time in my life, that was when knowing your favorite things was kind of like important to you. Mm-hmm. And I had just realized that my favorite color was the color green. So I, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, and here's a comic book about green people, green arrow, green lantern. They dig me, you know, they, I get where they're, <laughs> where they're coming from because their favorite color is green too. So that's probably why that uh, that comic is so meaningful. And then – as a supplement, uh, I also remember um, one time I had a babysitter who was into comic books, and she had actually bought um, uh, Ronin, which was a Frank Miller comic, which was one of his breakaway uh, uh, moves in the comic industry. And I didn't appreciate Ronin at the time. I was too young. But I remember her being interested in what Ronin meant for comics. It was part of the the, in, the indie boom of the time. And mm-hmm. so that, that sort of stuck with me too, that Ronin was something I'm going to have to check out sometime and, and find out what it was all about you know nice man and so that really kind of piqued your interest absolutely yes two two formative moments in my appreciation of comic books oh that's nice man well it's, it's always interesting to kind of look back and realize where where those turning points were and what, yeah. what they were and why and things um but uh yeah that's, that's, that's amazing um to it's it's incredible the the people that are in our lives like you know babysitters for instance who are there just for kind of you know a set period of time um but they can have a massive influence yeah yeah absolutely yeah it's uh so shout shouts out to whoever that was yeah exactly (laughs) i don't remember your name but thank you very much um that's awesome man um and so um come on to another interesting question and that is what is the most underrated comic that you've read uh, uh, I would have to say Saga. Of course. Oh, oh wait, you said underrated. <laughs> yes, sorry. yeah, yeah underrated. sorry, underrated, yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, it's so easy to get those words confused. Um, I, so <laughs> under, I don't know if this comic is actually underrated, but it certainly deserves more attention, um, and that's Bob the Angry Flower, which is just this uh, endlessly clever, non-sequitur comic written by uh, Stephen Notley. He's been doing it forever. He's He's published a number of books, and... 
It's a weekly strip that he collects into books every once in a while, and he's just got this this character who's who's a talking flower, and he's got like his 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 companions who are a talking log and a floating fetus, and uh, he's just got such a weird imagination and and just a weird way of of ending his strips. Like you know he'll like I said they're often they're non sequiturs, so he'll he'll lead you right up to the edge of where the punchline should be, and then just flip it around and, and just you know do the last panel will be the the character eating soup, you know. <laughs> so uh i've always i've always found his sense of humor to be uh, uh unexpected so bob the angry flower check it out at angryflower.com nice and, that, and that's been going like since the early 90s yeah yeah he's uh he's been around for a while that's incredible and he, he's kept it going all this time yeah he's like me he doesn't know when to quit yeah <laughs> incredible so, like, i his, mean it's amazing has chewed us up and spit us out already <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's just incredible that you know uh, there are people out there that will you know keep strips going for decades. Yeah, amazing, um, and keep it fresh and things like that. And you know you got a, a, a loyal fan base and things. It's it, it's just yeah. absolutely amazing. Um, but yeah, as you say, go check it out at angryflower dot com. Um, right, uh, then we come on to one of our most difficult questions. And that is for you. Uh, what is the best comic of all time? Yeah, that was that was a tough one. This is see, all these questions are great questions, and they're all the sort of things where it's like, if I hadn't been asked the questions, I would have an answer immediately because <laughs> because right. you know what your favorite stuff is until you have to think of it. Um, so I'm kind of cheating here, and I'm going to say that uh, rather than my favorite individual. Individual comic because there's a there's a lot of them um, here. I'll give I'll, I'll as usual I'll, I'll supplement my actual answer with a little something special. So probably one of the most significant single uh, uh, pages of any comic that I've ever read was there was a great issue of the X Men, Chris Claremont and John Romita Jr.'s X Men right. that had. Um, some characters, some military characters talking about what to do about the mutant menace, right? And so it had an interesting switcheroo, which has always stuck with me. And I've even taught cartooning classes where I mentioned this strip, or this panel. Um, you have the two young sort of CIA type characters, a man and a woman who are who are sort of like the new generation. And they're very um, they're very uh, bigoted and um, very hostile to uh, to mutants. And um, and so they're of course all in favor of you know we got to round them up we got to we got to um, uh, we got to register them, and then in in what I thought was a real interesting uh, um, unexpected twist, um, out uh, up pops uh, a general and he's like your classic Thunderbolt Ross type general he's you know he's um, you know he's in his sixties or maybe seventies he's got a big walrus mustache yeah. um, he's got all the, uh, the 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 medals and everything on his and his and his coat, and he's the one who's who's stamping his fist and saying, you know, how dare you? I liberated Auschwitz. And what you're talking about is no different than that. Usually you would expect the old timer to be the more reactionary cantankerous type and that the young people would be the, um, would be the ones saying, well, you know, we gotta, you know, we gotta make way for this new generation. So I always remember that that was an interesting reversal and, and reminded you that, that, uh, things are never what they seem, you know, the, uh, the, the, the cliche was flipped, was turned on its head at that point. And, and, and the only thing that, that really um, – the, the thing that was most significant was it was the old talking down to the young 
and the and the old guy being correct and the young young people being in the wrong and that's not usually something you would expect when when a comic is usually aimed at you know the the kids are all right and the, the old folks just don't get it so i always remember that, that that was a real life lesson to me it's like not to judge a book by by its cover um so that i always like to uh, to bring that one up but as far as the the best comic of all time, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that actually the the, the for me the best was always the the uh, any um, any issue of the Hulk uh, drawn by Dale Keown, because at the time that he was uh, working on the Hulk with with Peter David, uh, I, I was also um, uh, so showing my stuff to editors. I was even showing my stuff to the editor of the Hulk comic, and his stuff was real inspirational. Uh, the way he drew muscles, draws muscles, he's still doing it. Um, but but the way he was drawing the Hulk was just you know just wonderful to look at, and it was like. That's great, and I think I can rise to his level. Um, it, it was, so it's like one of those things where it's like he was terrific, but he also seemed like a person I could I could someday be. So uh, I, I really enjoyed any issue of his version of the Hulk and learned a lot from it. That's amazing. It's it's great that you can, you know, pick a, a particular artist that you know really inspired you to really kind of push yourself and things. Um, yeah. Yeah, there have um, been quite. It's, a- it's great to pin that down. Yeah, there have been quite a few, of course. Yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's great to kind of have those moments when you're looking at it and you're just thinking, oh, I would you know really want to do this," and you know, um, it's it's so aspirational um, to to want to be part of it. Um, I just I just find that incredible. Um, nice man, um, and uh, yeah. Um, moving on to our last question about comics um if you'd only take one comic into the apocalypse which would it be well your your original question to me was uh, any comic from the list that i'd already uh that i already yeah so i'm so i'm gonna go back to bob the angry flower i'm gonna go to uh, one of his collections it's called uh, coffee with sinistar and uh i i'm gonna say i i want that because it holds up to rereadings um, and, uh, it's also, it, it will remind me that even though I'm dying from nuclear fallout, at least I'm not dying from being eaten by Sinistar. And, uh, that, I think, you know, that leaves me with a positive feeling. <laughs> nice. And, and for anybody that hasn't read it, what, what is Sinistar? Sinister. Oh my goodness, sir. Uh, you, you must be perhaps 12, 13, not to even know what Sinistar is. A uh, Sinistar <laughs> was a wonderful, um, arcade game. Um, where um, uh, it, it, it was a very the best video games are the ones that have unusual gameplay. So Sinistar is like this giant robot skull that's being constructed in space by by little robots, and you have to um, get you have to shoot asteroids to mine it for little crystals that you turn into bombs, and then you have to fly to Sinistar and blow him up with the bombs before he comes alive and starts chasing you. And he had a very, real scary voice, you know. He, you you would you would know that Sinistar was after you when you heard like a roar coming in from from you know off uh, you know from to your left to your right, and then you know he would like you know taunt you. He'd say, "Run, fool, or run, coward! <laughs> I am Sinistar." <laughs> And it was just uh, – it was actually frightening. It was like one of those video games like, no, Sinistar's after me. Help. Uh, so, so of course, um, Stephen Notley uh, has the same uh, same affection for Sinistar that I do. And he, he's used Sinistar in a number of his comic strips. Nice. Um, and um, with this nuclear fallout in mind, what weapon, tool, or useful item would you like to take into the apocalypse with you? Okay, well, I'm going to blow everyone's little mind here. So some of you are thinking, oh, yes, machetes, 
uh, chainsaws, machine guns, you know, none of those things are as awesome or as useful as this tiny little knife that I have on my keychain. Uh, you just, you just, you, you flick the, you just flick the switch and it pops right up. And it, you know, it's always there when I need to cut open a package or a piece of tape. And uh, I can dig splinters out of my fingers with it. And it even makes for a tiny little screwdriver as well. And it's always super sharp. So I'm going to say better than any Gatling gun is this tiny little knife that I have on my keychain. And, I, and, I, and that thing is going to keep me alive for decades. Absolutely, no doubt. Um, so uh, you're, you've got your, uh, your collected edition of, of Bob the Angry Flower, um, uh, Coffee with Sinistar, yep. and uh, also and radioactive your, eggs. Don't forget those. Yeah, your flick knife, radioactive eggs, and uh, copious amounts of Doritos. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think you're pretty much set for your comics for the apocalypse. Uh, I, I, I am looking forward to the apocalypse like never before. <clears throat> I never it. put together my action plan in my head, but now that I have, now that you've brought me to that moment, it's like the apocalypse is going to rock. Absolutely. Now that you've got the blueprint, you can run with it and just be completely content as the, as the world goes to pot. <laughs> That's fantastic. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you made me think of these things. My absolute pleasure, and thank you for being on comments for the apocalypse today, Jason. It's been it's been a real pleasure. Um, where can people find you one more time? Well, once again, it is uh, whatisdeepfried.com for uh, weekly strips and other madness. Um, if you will uh, be a, uh, a good listener and hop over to Kickstarter and look for the Death Ray 2020 uh, Kickstarter campaign, all sorts of great goodies that I think you will be interested in. And uh, on um, on Twitter, you can find me at I am Death Ray, and on Instagram at uh, Death Ray Graphics. I think there's an underscore in between uh, Death Ray and Graphics. Fantastic. And again, those those links will be in the show notes, so people can click through right there. Um, and then uh, for, for for next year, um, do you have anything on the horizon uh, next year in terms Absolutely. of kind of new projects or cons or anything like that? Yes, indeed. Uh, the Kickstarter itself is meant to uh, uh, fund some of the projects I'm working on, uh, those being uh, a new graphic novel uh, for Weapon Brown fans called Weapon, uh, excuse me, um, Weapon Brown Aftershock. Uh, in addition, I will be concluding after decades now, decades of working on um, uh, uh, Deep Fried, the original uh, comic book that I began self-publishing in 2000. Uh, I'm wrapping it up. Um, I'm halfway through a what I expect will be a six-issue story arc to uh, f- to send those characters off in style, Beepo, Roadkill, and Squints. So the uh, um, after I'm done with Aftershock, the second half of uh, 2020 will be spent uh, concluding the uh, death. Uh, excuse me, um, deep fried the hero's journey, uh, and then hopefully put that in a graphic novel uh, as well. Nice man. And then are you, have you got any uh, cons? booked or uh, are you just going with the flow uh i i have not booked any yet but uh, uh i i'd sort of sat out cons for the last couple of years because i just didn't have any new products to sell but um mm. I, I i'm sure i'll do at least one this year to uh, debut uh weapon brown aftershock um yeah. uh, assuming it goes into print uh that that'll depend on how well that kickstarter does um <laughs> and um i'm bound to show up in someone's neck of the woods somewhere so definitely i'm sure you'll uh you'll update twitter and your website and things so so people That's can right. uh, just follow you on there and then uh find updates um from there uh well um jason youngbluth thank you so much for your time today it's been a real pleasure 
Well, thank you very much, Samuel. Your your podcast is great, and I uh, was glad to be a part of it. Oh, brilliant! And uh, hopefully, our uh, our paths will cross one day uh, at a con at some point in time. If after the apocalypse I can get on a, a boat made of human skin and bones and float myself across the ocean, I'm, I'm sure we'll hook up. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Brilliant. Well, thanks again, Jason, and uh, hopefully see you at some point in the future. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jason. Thanks again to Jason for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It was an absolute riot. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. And if you'd like to check out Jason's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all of our own links to the various areas of the internet. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Bye for now.